This is the Make Dementia Your Bitch podcast, where I explain how caregivers can lovingly respond to confusing or challenging behaviors and reconnect with family members living with dementia. The information in this podcast is for educational purposes and is no substitute for medical advice or care. Hello and welcome to episode 52, Challenges Facing Employed Care Partners in a Post-COVID World. One of the upsides of the COVID-19 pandemic was that many family caregivers or care partners, depending what term you like, they could work from home and better balance caregiving responsibilities. And maybe that was your situation. It was such a interesting time during the pandemic because as adult daycare centers and respite centers shut down, family care partners became even more important to people living with dementia. It was not easy balancing caregiving responsibilities with work expectations, but it seemed like everyone was in the same boat. You had parents caring for children who couldn't go to school or couldn't go to daycare. So it wasn't unusual to go to watch Zoom meetings and see kids in the background, parents trying to like mute and turn around and fuss at one of their kids. One of my favorite memories was I was in a Zoom meeting with the head of HR and she had a couple school-age kids and she didn't have a home office. She was, she was at the family dining room attempting to speak with me and run this meeting, bless her heart. And in the background, I saw the family dog covered in soap and bubbles run in the background, followed by three kids. And I could hear them squealing in the background. And my colleague never like turned around, completely ignored them. And then five minutes later, I saw the family dog running in the opposite direction, trailed by the three kids. And at that point, she looked at me and said, excuse me, muted her microphone, turned around and probably screamed at the kids. And I had a lot of admiration for this individual because I don't think I could have handled it. But it became okay to show the caregiving side of ourselves, to recognize that everybody was balancing home and work in uncharted territories. And for caregivers of family members living with dementia, it also seemed like it was okay to admit that you were a caregiver and that you had to get off of a Zoom call to handle something, or you wanted some flexibility to meet familial demands. So on one hand, it was a freaking nightmare, but on the other hand, I saw almost a kinder, gentler aspect to work-life balance. When schools and daycares reopened a year ago, many parents breathed a sigh of relief. Employed care partners of people living with dementia, however, 
now faced new challenges. They were suddenly expected to return to the workplace, but with many pre-COVID resources missing. Numerous Dementia Day programs disappeared. In-home service providers became unreliable due to insufficient employees. Employed care partners were also concerned about bringing infections home to vulnerable family members. In today's podcast, I want to recognize the challenges faced by employed care partners and share potential resources to help with these challenges. So if you are listening and this is your situation, I welcome your suggestions and comments at the end of this podcast. So why do people remain in the workforce? Care partners who remain in the workforce often do so out of necessity for income, retirement, benefits, or some combination of the three. According to the American Association of Retired Persons, family care partners of people with dementia spend an average of $11,000 per year, and it's probably higher now. This is twice the amount spent by family care partners of adults without dementia. And this $11,000 per year doesn't include lost income from cutting back hours, from turning down promotions, or in the case of entrepreneurs, losing business. So I have two friends who are currently caring for a relative with dementia. Jan owns her own business. If she does not work, she has no income. She is also a care partner for her mom who has Alzheimer's dementia. My other friend, Leona, is caring for her spouse with frontotemporal dementia. Frontotemporal dementia can show up in people as young as 40, and in Leona's case, her 50-year-old husband is too young to get retirement, and she is working on getting him disability benefits. And the thing with his frontotemporal dementia is it causes problems with judgment and impulsivity. So he basically was almost fired from his job because of inappropriate comments he was making to customers. And luckily, Leona had him in the care of a really good neurology team that specialized in dementia care. And they were able to send documents to the employer and say, look, he has a disability and this disability is preventing him from fulfilling work responsibilities. So that allowed him to be discharged from the job as disabled and it allowed him to be eligible for disability benefits from the job but the disability is short-term, so they're working on getting him long-term disability. And anyone who's ever tried to get SSI, it, it can be a bitch to go through that process. So in Leona's case, her 50-year-old husband is too young to get retirement, and she is working on getting him disability benefits. So her job provides both necessary income and important health benefits. So suffice to say, both women are in a tough spot. Both have worked hard to get where they are, 
and neither wants to stop working. And this may be your situation as well. Although my friends work in different industries and one is self-employed while the other is not, both women share similar challenges, challenges that you yourself may be experiencing. And you are not alone and you are not failing at what you are doing. You are in a hell of a situation. Let's talk about that. Jan, who is self-employed, is finding that her interactions with her clients are being constantly interrupted. Jan would be in mid-sentence helping a client with a purchase and her phone would chime. Glancing at the caller ID, Jan would apologize. Hey, it's the sitter. I have to take this. Her clients mumble understanding, but she can see their patients wearing thin after the third interruption in the space of 15 minutes. These interruptions are more than an inconvenience for Jan. She has to mentally regroup after each interruption, which means that her mind has to exert extra effort to return to the conversation with her client that was interrupted by the phone call. Leona, on the other hand, works for a family-owned heating and air company. Her husband, like I said, who just turned 50, is too young for retirement and they are waiting on disability, which feels like it is taking forever. Although her husband can make simple meals and meet his basic needs, he gets frustrated when he cannot use the TV remote or cannot log into the computer. His default is to angrily call Leona and either tell her to come home or to blame her for messing stuff up before she left for work. These telephone calls distract Leona and she has made small mistakes, but mistakes she wasn't happy about as a result of these calls and interruptions. And both women are also experiencing the here but not here phenomena. And let me explain. Like most business owners, Jan's work week is greater than 40 hours, more like 60. She cannot afford to hire a sitter for 60 hours a week to stay with her mom while she runs the business. Always creative, Jan has a sitter for a few hours during the busiest times of her day. Because her shop is next to her home, Jan has planned times where she leaves her one employee in charge so she can run over to the house and check on mom. This arrangement seems good on the surface, but the reality is the constant back and forth movement gives Jan no time to think or to be proactive in either role. She is constantly reacting to issues at her shop and to problems in her home. By dividing herself up between these two places, she is never really present in either one. Leona works about 30 minutes from her house. She currently cannot afford in-home care. It would devour her entire paycheck. She has put together a creative system of check-ins throughout the day, relying on friends and family members. Sometimes her husband welcomes the visits. Sometimes 
he becomes angry and defensive about having babysitters. And those are his words. Leona feels like she can't win. She finds herself unable to concentrate on her work activities because there is a constant undercurrent of worry, of dread, of waiting for the next phone call. And what new shitstorm is she going to encounter? Leona even turned down a promotion to supervisor in spite of a healthy pay raise because she did not think she could handle the additional responsibilities while being the primary care partner for her husband. I believe that many corporations and businesses severely underestimate the effect of dementia caregiving on their bottom line. When I was caring for my family member with dementia eight years ago, I rearranged my work schedule to be home when no one else was available. And at the time, I had two children. Well, they weren't really children, but my son was a senior in high school and my daughter was a junior, I think, in college, maybe a senior. But the thing is, both of them drove and had a certain amount of independence. And so what I would do is I would work from home while they were at school. And then Sarah had a couple days a week, like she had Monday, Wednesday, Friday classes, and she had some availability like Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we cobbled together a schedule where somebody was always available. And I was lucky that I had that type of flexibility. And I was lucky that my children were willing to step up and assume the role of dementia caregivers. At one point, Mary was hospitalized and she was discharged to a rehab unit connected to a nursing home. And I thought, cool, I will have to, I, I can go back to work now without worrying about somebody being home. Huh, surprise, my responsibilities did not lessen. I received nearly daily phone calls at work about some issue or problem. And there were times I was receiving phone calls like every couple of hours. I also made sure that I left work early enough to visit with her around meal times to make sure she was eating. These caregiving activities siphoned off hours of productivity. My grant submissions and publications severely decreased during my time as a caregiver. My teaching evaluations weren't bad, but they weren't stellar. The only place I felt like I was making a difference during the time I was a caregiver was in my clinic because, boy, did I understand the challenges faced by my families of the patients I was caring for in the neurology clinic. So what are options for family caregivers? One option is the Family and Medical Leave Act, assuming you are in a business that's large enough to have this benefit. Employees can take leave in increments of less than eight hours a day, and this may be useful for taking off blocks of time to care for your family member while you have other resources in place. And it's also useful for taking family members to 
doctor appointments. You can also maybe use these blocks of times to come to work later or leave earlier to provide care for your family member with dementia. Another option is telecommuting, although that can be almost impossible with a family member in the late moderate to severe dementia stages who is shadowing, who wants to be near you at all times. Many care partners become frustrated trying to work under these conditions because your family member is asking you like every five minutes, what should they be doing? Where are they? And that presents a challenge unto itself. But this may be a situation where you may want to have a hybrid caregiving situation where you have a sitter during your work hours. And you may be saying that kind of defeats the purpose. But the thing is, if you don't have to commute, you can lessen the amount of times that, or the amount of hours you have a sitter so that you can maximize your productivity. Some employers are offering elder care benefits similar to child care benefits. I would recommend that you speak to your HR representative to see what options you have. And if you know that you're not the only one, that there are several of your coworkers in the same boat, you may all want to make an appointment with the head of HR and ask that your employer begin offering elder care benefits. And here's another thing. Right now, it is a, I want to say, an employee's market. Employers want to keep good, solid employees, especially with so many positions being unfilled. I would encourage those of you who are family caregivers to be open about it to your supervisor, to HR, and say, look, this is the wave of the future. There are 6.5 million people living with dementia in the U.S. alone, and I will guarantee there is closer to 17 million family caregivers. We thought there were 15. I think it's closer to 17, and it's growing. So if employers want to keep experienced, solid, hardworking employees, productive employees, smart employees, they need to offer flexibility and elder care benefits. Some employees are actually putting together elder care centers similar to daycare centers. And employers don't know that this exists unless you tell them. In where I work, I've been clamoring to include dementia content in the curriculum since I arrived at my current teaching position in 2012. And for years, I was ignored. Next thing I know, people in positions of authority were suddenly becoming dementia caregivers. And when it became personal, when they were dealing with it, all of a sudden, I became the most popular person on campus. All of a sudden, I was getting meetings with people in leadership positions asking me to develop courses for 
clinicians, programs for the workplace. And I, I was happy to do it, but the lesson I learned that until you yourself are experiencing it, it's not in your consciousness. It's not in your awareness. And that's not an insult. It's a reality. I'm not aware of things until it's part of my daily experience. So that's why I would encourage you to go to your supervisors, to go to your HR reps and say, help. I want to remain here. I want to be productive and to contribute, but I need support. And I think more employers are listening. Now, some resources I want to talk about. In some states, Medicaid programs will pay family members to provide care to persons with dementia as long as certain criteria are met. And you may be thinking, I'm working, so what does that have to do with me? Maybe there is a family member who isn't working and is looking for a paid position, and this may be the answer. However, you want to make sure that family member is willing to be a caregiver and has the ability to do because sometimes we have what's called default caregivers in our families. Like in my own family, I had a cousin who was disabled and she really wasn't equipped to be a dementia caregiver for her dad. But her siblings decided since my cousin was disabled and she was sitting home anyway, she would be the logical choice. And I remain convinced that the stress of caring for a person living with dementia compromised my cousin's health and resulted in her untimely passing. And yeah, that that can happen. I would really be aware of making sure there's a good match between the person providing the care and their willingness and ability to do so enough about that. And I will have these links in the show notes. There is also a program for veterans that provides payment to family members who are providing in-home care. And these family members can also be employed. And I have that link in the show notes. I would also recommend starting with the Area Agencies on Aging because the Area Agencies on Aging offer a variety of home and community-based services for care partners. And start with them. And also, I have the link and the information in the show notes below the podcast. And I recommend checking with your local Area Agency on Aging, because benefits differ from state to state. And sometimes they differ from county to county in the same state. I would love to see more options for people in the workforce who are care partners of persons living with dementia. I would love to see reimbursement for elder care, access to emergency sitter care, and workplace programs that increase care partners' knowledge and skills about dementia caregiving. One answer may be partnerships 
between companies and industries like mine, perhaps a caregiving coaching program similar to the one that I provide. But I welcome ideas and suggestions from all of you who are caring for a family member living with dementia. And I do have an announcement. This Thursday, July, and I just went blank on the date, July 14th, is the one-year anniversary of the Make Dementia Your Bitch podcast. And to celebrate, I am having a live dementia problem-solving and podcast celebration event. It will be done through ClickMeeting, which is my video conferencing software. It will be live, and it will be 6 p.m. Central Time this Thursday, July 14th. I have information in the show notes where you can register, and I hope to see you there. If this is your first time attending, what I do is I, unlike Facebook Lives and other venues, You can open up your mic and you can ask me questions. And because it's a podcast celebration, you can even ask me questions about the podcast, whatever you are curious about. And more importantly, I love to entertain caregiving challenges and help the best I can. I will also be giving away one copy, one autographed copy of my book, Make Dementia Your Bitch, to a lucky participant. I so look forward to seeing you there because together we are making dementia our bitch. I hope you found this podcast helpful. Please rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so other dementia caregivers can find this podcast. If you are a caregiver for someone with dementia, and need help understanding and dealing with these behaviors, please contact me. You can find me on Facebook, Make Dementia Your Bee, or email me, info at makedementiayourbitch.com.